0: Our Old Testament reading this evening is Psalm 23, which will be our sermon text as well. Psalm 23. Let's hear God's word now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our new covenant reading, John 10, 1-21 John 10, 1-21 Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division among them among the Jews because of these sayings and many of them said he has a demon and is mad why do you listen to him others said these are not the words of one who has a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind thus ends the reading of God's holy word let's pray that he would bless it to us now good shepherd we pray that you would speak by and with your word and that we would hear your voice, and that you would lead us in and out, and that we would find good pasture, even that sweet pasture of eternal life that we find in you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What is a shepherd, anyway? Do you know any shepherds? I don't personally know any. I don't think I've ever met a shepherd. I've never actually seen, you know, I've seen pictures of shepherds. I don't know if I've personally seen a shepherd. Maybe on some occasion or other I've seen a sheep farmer, but not someone who would identify as a shepherd. It's kind of an old-fashioned thing, right? We picture this idyllic Scottish countryside dotted with white fluffy sheep and a collie running around, and there's this contemplative shepherd out there, rustic fellow, just at one with nature, right? It's kind of our, right, what is a shepherd anyway? Of course, David's context is, is quite different. As he talks about a shepherd here in Psalm 23, calls the Lord his shepherd. Now, that, that, was a, that was an image that the people knew, right? They understood what a shepherd was. Well, what was it? Ancient Israel, of course, uh, there are shepherds all over the place. But uh, shepherd a shepherd was a common metaphor for a leader or a king. And this is what's going on here, right? Um, we see this in Scripture. Second Samuel 5, verse 2, for example. David is being anointed king of Israel. And the people say, In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. It was a very natural comparison for people in the ancient world, to make they see shepherds leading sheep, and they they draw the comparison through a king leading, protecting, providing for his people. Uh, sheep without a shepherd would be lost and get into all kinds of trouble. So would a nation without a king. And so we see this comparison. Now, David, of course, is familiar with both kinds of shepherding, isn't he? Um, he was a shepherd, a literal shepherd of sheep, as a young boy, and it was his job to drive off the predators and keep those sheep safe. Um, but he also knew what it was to be the shepherd, the king of Israel, to protect them and provide for them and lead them in and out of good pasture, lead them in the right way. So it's interesting, David, as a shepherd, as the king of Israel, writing this song, what's, what's on his mind? What's on his heart? Right? It's, it's, his confidence isn't in himself to be a good shepherd for Israel. Because right, he knows he's not the first and chief shepherd of Israel. He knows God has called him to be a shepherd, a king, but he knows that it's the Lord, it's Yahweh, who's the true king and the true shepherd of Israel. But not just the true shepherd and king of Israel, but also David's psalm here is so personal. Right? It's it, the Lord is my shepherd, David says. He's my king. He's my shepherd. He's my provider, my protector. Right? David needs this. He's got to hang fa- hold, hold fast to this. Right. Um, the road to kingship for him wasn't easy. Right. It's marked by heartbreak and betrayal and, and civil war. Uh, if you remember the context of this first book of the Psalter, right, we saw this last summer in a series we did on the Psalms, that each, each of the five books of the Psalter has a different kind of context and, and function to it. And the first book of the Psalter is about, about the conflict and confrontation that happens when God raises up his king between all the other kings and the surrounding nations. And, uh, and, and that's, the, that's the context right here of, um, of, of this psalm. We see it in Psalm 22, right before Psalm 23. A grief-filled psalm, a suffering-filled psalm. Uh, as the Lord brings his anointed one uh, into uh, uh, to, to be the king and it's, it's a road marked with suffering and David needs to know even as he comes out of the experience of Psalm 22 also Psalm 23 the Lord is my king and my shepherd through this and we'll go on right we could go on and look into Psalm 24 right the next Psalm that uh, the Lord is this is his glorious and victorious king and so Psalm 23, right between this psalm about the suffering of the Lord's anointed and Psalm 24 about the Lord's glory as the great king, is Psalm 23 where David says, and he's my shepherd and my king. He's reminding himself, he's reminding Israel, I'm not the chief shepherd. Yahweh is. Beloved ones, what about you? Who is the chief shepherd? The king and leader that you look to. Who do you trust to take care of you and to lead you? Maybe you tempted to trust yourself, uh, trust yourself to lead and take care of and provide for yourself, that you have the resources in yourself to handle whatever it is and that, uh, uh, that you don't need anyone else. Or maybe there's someone else and, and you have this other person in your life. And, and, and there are people God has given us to be encouragements to us. He's given us under shepherds. Uh, He's given us us friends and spouses to be an encouragement and to help us. But they're not to be the chief shepherd. Our chief shepherd is to be the Lord alone. Because no no human shepherd can do what we need, can provide for us in the way we need and protect us in the way we need. Only the Lord can. Only the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, can be this kind of shepherd. It's only, loved ones, it's only when the Lord is your shepherd that you can say the rest of verse 1, I shall not want. Any other shepherd, you cannot say, I shall not want, I shall not lack. It's only when the Lord is your shepherd that you can say that if He is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. If He isn't, you will lack everything. The psalm begins with this wonderful profession of faith. David says, Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. Therefore, I will lack for nothing. And then the rest of the psalm is just him unpacking some of the sweet and precious promises, the truths that this, that this entails for him. Um, he gives us four realities that are true for us if the Lord is our shepherd. So we're going to work through these four things. The Lord is our shepherd. These are four things he will, he will do for us, he promises to do for us. The first heading is Good Pastures, verses 2 to 3a. 2 to 3a here. We see good pastures that the Lord will bring us into. So the psalm begins, verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it gives us three parallel statements. Of course, you know, uh, Hebrew poetry works through parallels. It, it adds nuance and it adds um, contrast to these different parallels that it, that it gives us. And it starts here with three statements, all following the same pattern in the Hebrew. The, uh, uh, um, they, they uh, Interestingly, they start with the noun, not the verb. Um, so, so, right in English, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, but the Hebrew order the word order is, In pastures green he makes me lie down. Beside waters still, he leads me; uh, my soul he restores. Following the same pattern, each of those ones. And David is is picturing this this wonderful scene, right? Green, lush, grassy meadow, a sheep's dream, right? And and the Lord is this is where the Lord brings me. In a climate like Israel, um, where there are places like that, but there are also places that aren't like that—dusty, dry, dangerous, rocky places. Um, Right. This is, this is something precious to find a place like that. And shepherds would lead their flocks far to find a really good pasture for them. So he's picturing this, this, uh, this lush meadow. And then he pictures that there is also here the, the, these, these still waters, these quiet waters. Not the rushing, turbulent, and dangerous waters of the spring floods, but, uh, but the restful waters that are safe for, for drinking from. So what's he saying? The Lord, he's saying the Lord is bringing me into a place of nourishment and a place of rest, a place where every single need I have is met. And the result, my soul, my life is refreshed and and restored. The Lord has, has brought a weary, tired, exhausted, burned out sheep to a sweet place of rest and refreshment and strength. He's giving him his life back. What is all this imagery pointing to, though? Right? He's not talking about literal pastures. Where does the Lord lead us? How does he refresh and renew our life like this? What are the pastures that he is leading us into? How, how does he do this for us? We can say, well, maybe it's, it's by his, his providence. Right? Sometimes the Lord will bring us to a, a season of sweet rest and refreshment. Where, where some of the anxieties and threats which have hung over us before he strips away and he gives us that time of, the time of rest, right? Uh, you can think of Pilgrim's progress. We see this often in this story. Christian's on his way to the celestial city. And, and, and yes, it's a hard road, but the king has made sure there's these places of rest, these, these houses of healing along the way where he can, he can find rest and refreshment. And, and so it is in the Christian life, isn't it? I'm sure you can look back at the Lord's providence in your life and see some of those seasons and some of those times which were particularly refreshing. Are these the pastors David has in mind? He's talking about God's gentle providences. Perhaps part of it. But I think there's more he's saying. There's some other psalms that can shed some light on on what he's saying here, I think. It can be helpful for us. Just back in Psalm 18, And we read there of how David was in in mortal danger and the Lord saved him. And Psalm 18, verses 16 to 18 says, He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Right, David's talking there about how the Lord saved him, saved his life, saved him from his enemies, preserved his life as his anointed one. And uh, this is, I think, part of what David is is describing here—the salvation that God brings. That's the—that's the green pastures, right? And this is what He's done for us as well. Right? It's not just that we can look back over our lives and see these providences peppered through our lives, which were sweet and restful, but that we look back further to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say with David, he saved me. And in that, he brought me out of death and condemnation and curse. And he brought me into everlasting life. And most fundamentally, right, he has brought us to Jesus Christ. And Christ himself is the green pastures and the still waters for the Christian. Christ himself, regardless sometimes, oftentimes even, of the providences that we're going through. Christ Himself is, the, is that sweet place we find eternal life and refreshing. It doesn't require a gentle providence. There is a green pasture you can enjoy even when it's a time of difficulty. Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish Puritan, understood this, understood this well. In 1636, he was exiled from his hometown and his home church for preaching faithfully. And um, uh, he, so he was exiled and sent away and imprisoned. And you wouldn't think that would be a time of green pastures and still waters. But as he's there, he writes all these letters to his, to his flock back home. And in all of them, over and over again, he speaks of the, the sweet joy and the increased joy that he had there in Christ. And, and it's so much so that he actually came to refer to his prison as Christ's palace in Aberdeen. Because that place, a place of imprisonment and punishment, had become a place where Christ drew close to him and he tasted the sweetness of the green pastures and still waters and refreshing in Christ. And how does the Lord do this? Leading us to Christ and making us to taste all the sweet life that is ours in him. He does it through his word. He does it as he brings us He brings his word to us and in in that word we find our Lord Jesus. The Psalms speak of this also. There are many Psalms that tell of this. Psalm 119.25 says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. This is how our shepherd, this is how the Lord restores our souls. He takes us into the green pastures of his word where he feeds us with Christ himself. Loved ones, has he led you there? Are you seeking to to be fed there with Christ, drinking up Christ, feeding on Christ in the Scriptures? This is where our lives are refreshed and restored. That's the first thing the Lord will do for those who are his loved ones as our shepherd. The second heading, um, excuse me, skip the page. The, the second heading is right paths. Verses three b to four, the Lord shows us that as our shepherd, He leads us in the right paths. Not only does He bring us to rich pastures, but He leads us skillfully and carefully from one to the other. He doesn't just know the right place to go; He also knows the best way to get there. Verse three b tells us that He leads us in paths of righteousness. The sense of the Hebrew is that these are paths that are right. That these are the safe paths. The shepherd knows the way to go, right? He's not going to use the wrong path. And so the Lord's going to lead us in the right path, the path of obedience to Him, to His will. He will lead us there. Um, It's occasionally happened to me when my wife and I have been traveling somewhere new, somewhere we were perhaps uncertain about, that she's asked, Are you sure we're going the right way? Is this the right path? Uh, When we moved to Philadelphia for seminary, Uh, We drove a U-Haul and towed our car behind it, and the U-Haul was loaded down with my wife's piano and all my books. Um, It was the smallest possible U-Haul size that was still allowed to tow a car, but we packed it tight and full, and uh, we could not accelerate above 35 miles per hour. Um, and we'd been up all night the night before cleaning out our apartment anyway so we're tired and we're going down to uh, this new venture in Philadelphia and I over every bump we were holding our breath feeling the piano jostle in the truck behind us but anyway we're driving along and uh, we're, we're, we're middle of the night we're on route 15 in Connecticut and we start seeing these signs no trailers right allowed on route 15 and and um, I just kind of hope I stop seeing those signs. Keep on going. And eventually, of course, we we don't stop seeing the signs. And I can hear my wife saying to me, Are you sure we're going the right way? Is this the right path? Right? Have you ever asked the Lord that question? As he's leading you, is this the right way? Is this a right path that you are leading me in? I'm not sure about your providence here. I don't see the pleasant pastures that I was promised. I see the valley of the shadow of death. Where are you taking me? Loved ones, trust that it is the right path because he's your shepherd. Right? We can be sure of this. Listen to um, the reason why David gives here for, for why the Lord leads us in the right paths. Will he lead us in the right paths? David says, yes, he will. The end of verse 3 says, for, he'll do it for, for his name's sake. This is this is how and why the Lord is committed to bring you through the right path. Right, he is committed to his people and he's bound up his honor and his name and his glory with you and with saving you. And he's he's made this uh, he's committed himself to this. We read about it in Ezekiel 36. He says, "Therefore, say to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act." but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. It's not for your sake. It's for his holy name's sake. That's wonderful news. If his commitment to me rested rested on my obedience and my performance, my faithfulness, then I'd have every reason to doubt that it's the right path, that I would think he would forsake me. But his commitment to me does not depend on, on on me, but on him and on his glory and on his name. He has bound himself to us in the covenant of grace forever, and he's committed himself to us. He's tied his name to us, and he's not going to see it dragged through the mud. He's going to see it glorified. We won't be abandoned. So don't doubt him. He's leading you on the right paths for His name's sake. Even when those paths are not paths you choose for yourself, even when it's the valley of the shadow of death, as David goes on to talk about in verse 4, uh, when it's this dark time, a, a place of difficulty and loneliness, suffering, grief, pain, even death itself, He's with us there. And He's leading us there. And it's still the right path that He's leading us on. And even there, He's with us as our shepherd. So we don't need to fear any evil. There's a lovely little play on words in the Hebrew here. Uh, Dr. Johnny Gibson at Westminster pointed this out, that uh, the word for evil in Hebrew here is used, is the word ra. Uh, and it's very similar to the Hebrew word for shepherd, which is, which is roi, that uh, when the Lord is your roi, you will fear no ra. When the Lord is your shepherd, you will fear no evil. There are all kinds of evils that surround us and threaten us. Uh, we We could list them out, right? You know what they are for your own heart, the evils that threaten you and cause you anxiety and fear. But, loved ones, the Lord is shepherding you through all of them. And if he's your shepherd, there is no evil that can harm you. He's taking care of you. He's protecting and providing for you. Verse 4 says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Interesting here, this is the first time in the psalm David switches to calling God directly, uh, in, in, uh, naming Him directly in the, in the second person. Throughout the psalm so far, he's been talking about God in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. But now he switches and he says, for you are with me. You are with me there in the valley of darkness and death. He knows the Lord is with him. And he knows that uh, the Lord is going to comfort him and strengthen him. He's going to keep him. He has his rod there as a shepherd, has a rod to defend and protect uh, from predators, and as the shepherd has a staff to, to, to prod and, and, and direct the sheep, Right, the, the, so the Lord keeps us, guards us, and keeps us in, in the right way and strengthens us and encourages us and comforts us. These are sweet and precious things, aren't they, loved ones? And um, they should leave us kind of shaking our heads, right? How can the Lord so commit himself to me, right? How can he make a promise like this to me when I know my heart before him and my sin before him, right? David could say this psalm perhaps, because he was special. He was the Lord's anointed, and he had a special promise from God about that, right? So David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll fear no evil. But can I say that? But this psalm is more than about David. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, he is, uh, he is the great speaker of this psalm. These are words he would have known and loved um, and, uh, and professed as he faced the valley of the shadow of death. And he knew that even though the wrath of God was going to be poured out on him, the Lord was not going to forsake him. Uh, the Lord was not going to abandon him. The Lord was going to raise him up from death. Even though he felt the experience of God forsakenness on the cross, he knew he was not going to be ultimately forsaken even through that. And yet, there's another precious thing to see here, right? Our Lord Jesus, this psalm isn't just the psalm that he would have known and loved. It's also the psalm that is true for us because of him. It's true for us because of his suffering for us, right? He, we don't deserve to speak this psalm. We don't deserve to have the Lord as our shepherd at all, to, to be in this covenant of grace. We deserve his wrath for our sins. And so it is that it's only because Jesus bore that for us and went through the experience of Psalm 22 for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we can enjoy Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd, and he'll never leave us, never forsake us, and we have no evil to fear. The third blessing we receive with the Lord as our shepherd is abundant provision. Verse 5, abundant provision. At this point in the psalm, the shepherd imagery starts to fade to the background a bit. Um, as the reality of the relationship that David's been describing here between David and his Lord comes to the forefront. And he talks here about how the Lord has prepared him a table. The Lord has set this feast before him, um, and he's, uh, it's a rich feast. It's, it's a celebration of victory. Um, he anoints his head with oil, a symbol of, of his blessing on him. He talks about how his cup is overflowing. The Lord has made every provision, abundant provision, for David, he's overwhelming David with blessings. This is not describing for us a, a, a bare escape or, or, or a, a neutralizing of the enemy, but it is describing a great victory and triumph. But notice where the table is that the Lord is spreading for David, right? It's in the presence of his enemies, it's not in his palace, not in the temple, not in Jerusalem. It's, it's in the rugged wilderness. It's, it's in the place of danger and it's the place where enemies are close by. It's a place of uh, of danger. It's a place of of fearfulness. But there he is in this wilderness and the Lord spreads a table for him. One commentator says that this is a witness to infinite resources in the worst of situations. And we see all right, David here is... Uh, trusting in the Lord. He, he, he's got this confidence in the Lord. He, he knows there's enemies. He knows there's real danger. Um, and he was hunted in the wilderness by, by many of them. Uh, but he knew that even there in the wilderness, surrounded by enemies, the Lord was more than providing for him. The Lord was abundantly blessing him. We might think, well, what's easier for him than us? Right? That, that right, God, God is abundantly blessing David, but he was unique, as we said. Uh, he's called by God to be the king of Israel, and he has this promise, this guarantee the Lord's going to put him on the throne, and or whatever dangers come, he's going to get through them. But, loved ones, as much confidence as David could have facing his enemies that the Lord was abundantly blessing him, uh, so can we, um, even more than he. Because, again, right, we're talking not just the Psalm isn't just true of David, it's true of us in Christ. And uh, Christ is the one who has won the victory, has risen in glory, and is enthroned already. And so even here in the presence of our enemies, we are sure and we rest that, uh, knowing that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. Right now we are in the wilderness and there are enemies, but there is also a table that the Lord has spread, a feast that he has spread of his grace and his goodness. The salvation uh, is ours in Christ. The word of God the Lord's Supper, all the means of grace. The Lord is is, is richly, abundantly providing everything we need. He has not left us to to starve on our way to heaven and barely get there because we didn't have enough resources. He's thought of everything. He's provided for everything. And He's richly blessing us the whole way there. So, So even in the midst of the wilderness now, enjoy the feasts He's spread and be strengthened by it. This is the third blessing he gives, this abundant provision. The the final, fourth blessing we receive when the Lord is our shepherd is loving pursuit in verse 6. Verse 6 brings us back to the way the psalm started. The psalm started talking about Yahweh. It's the first word in the psalm. The covenant Lord, that's his name, of course. And verse 6 begins by talking again about Yahweh, but in particular it begins by talking about His goodness and His mercy, which in Hebrew are are the words uh, tov and chesed. Right? This is God's goodness, and it's His loyal, covenant, faithful love. And the psalmist is saying that that the Lord, who is my covenant God, is going to pursue me with those covenant blessings all my days, that His loyalty to me is not going to fail. I've often heard God's goodness and mercy or his goodness and his steadfast love the psalm talks about here uh, compared to sheepdogs to break away from the ancient Near East shepherding metaphor bring it into our own shepherding uh, context perhaps right uh, goodness and mercy are like sheepdogs that the Lord sends after his people and they, they come behind us and they keep us in the right way and they keep chasing us when we're going off the wrong way and, and bringing us in the right way he won't relent in sending his goodness and his kindness and his love after us. As this, is, this is how the psalm ends, with this glorious confidence, right? David is not home yet. He's not in the Lord's house yet. But he's on his way, and he knows that the Lord's goodness and the Lord's faithful covenant love are guaranteeing that he'll get there, that they're chasing him there, relentlessly pursued by covenant love. And they will bring us to the Lord's house. And we will dwell there with our good shepherd forever. Loved ones, this is where your are good shepherd. Our Lord Jesus is leading you to his home and he won't fail. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So don't have any other shepherd. Don't make any other shepherd your chief shepherd. Don't trust and follow any other because their promises aren't good. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can say, if I am your shepherd, you shall not want. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord our God, that you are indeed our shepherd and that you've shown us this glorious grace because of the all-sufficient work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep us from looking to, trusting in, or following after any other but Him. It's in His name we pray. Amen.